The information provided by Munro Partners is for educational purposes only and is not intended to include or constitute financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from an Australian Financial Services licensee before making any investment decision. We've come to the end of another results season and in this episode we are joined by Kira Moore who is a partner and portfolio manager here at Munro. And Kira will be giving us the wrap on the latest earnings announcement. My name is Taylor Bree Casey and welcome to the Invest in the Journey podcast. Kieran, welcome back to the hot seat. You sat down with me not long ago to chat through Munro's capital preservation tools and now you're back again to chat through reporting season. It's great to have you again. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Just to set the scene a bit, earnings season is when companies release their corporate earnings to the public and it typically occurs every quarter. Given the market has been particularly difficult uh, this year for growth investing, how important was this result season to confirm Munro's conviction in the stocks we hold? Yeah, that's a great question. So really, it was really important actually. So in 2022 so far, we've spoken a lot about the macroeconomics. So about what the Fed's doing, about inflation, about a recessionary fear, et cetera, et cetera. But really, we haven't focused that much on the fundamentals of these companies. Uh, and so when we um, started to come into the second quarter earnings season, we were really looking forward to our companies to show that earnings resiliency. So to show that resiliency in their business models, that their earnings can grow despite what was going on in the broader macro environment. And so that's what we were looking for. Often with all the companies that we try and invest in, we're really looking for the earnings to be backed by a structural tailwind, a structural tailwind that is really less impacted by the macroeconomics. And we really wanted our companies to show that. Do you get the opportunity to ask company questions or is it simply an announcement? So typically what happens is the company will report uh, and then we go away and update our research pack. So in the long run, we speak a lot at Munro Partners about earnings growth, driving stock prices. And so what we do when a company reports is effectively update our our earnings forecasts. So our our short-term earnings forecasts and our long-term earnings forecasts. And that's typically how, how in practice it works. When a company reports, they obviously do their public earnings call, which we listen to. Um, and then when management gets on the road, they typically do a, what's called a, a post-results roadshow where they meet with investors. And this is really our chance to, to test those earnings assumptions um, and to make sure we've got the right inputs into our models, into our quantitative bottom-up models. It's a great summary of why it's important to be across the results. What about the companies that we aren't invested in? Is the investment team dialing into the results uh, calls of stocks that we aren't in the portfolio? Definitely, absolutely. So it's really important to know what the peers are doing in, in, in the companies that we look at. So it's important to know what Amazon's peers are doing or Alphabet's peers are doing or Microsoft's peers are doing. Uh, and it's also really important to understand what else is going on for companies that we might be looking at but not currently invested in. So, for example, investing in Australia or investing globally out of Australia, we've got the great opportunity that a company might report after market in the morning our time and then we've got the full day to effectively digest those earnings and listen to the earnings call uh, and work out where those earnings are potentially going over time. So, absolutely we do. It's really interesting. Some people might see operating in Australia um, for global equity as a challenge but it's great to hear that there's advantages as well. Maybe let's work through the stocks in the way that Munro sees the world, and that is by areas of interest. Starting with e-commerce, um, as that's probably the AOI with most familiar names, which companies announced results? And maybe could you include what your expectations were and then how the company actually reported for the quarter? Definitely. So in e-commerce, really the key beneficiary that we'll talk about, we talk a lot about there is Amazon. Um, so e-commerce has been 
typically a quite difficult area uh, as we progress through COVID. So obviously there was a lot of demand pull forward for during COVID while everyone started shopping online for their goods and services. And then obviously as we exited COVID, that demand fell away in a really sudden way, in a, in a really fast time frame. And so that's been really difficult for investors to model, first of all, but it's also been really difficult for management teams to communicate how their business is, is actually progressing versus market expectations. So going into the results, Amazon was obviously a really topical company. Um, so Amazon had seen that massive pull forward in demand. I guess if you, if you take a step back, Amazon really focuses on their customer base. So they saw that pull forward in demand and invested really, really heavily to try and satisfy that demand and to try and satisfy their customers at the end of the day. And so over the last couple of years through the COVID period, Amazon's actually added almost $200 billion in revenue over that time frame. Um, but actually their margins haven't really gone up that much. And so what we were really looking for in this result season is for that margin profile to start expanding again. So for, for Amazon to give you a line of sight in for them to being able to leverage that, that revenue growth that they've added over the last few years. And so management were able to do that. They were able to show that next quarter their margins will continue to expand and they'll get back on track to being able to leverage that growth over the long period of time. And what about more traditional retailers like Costco and Walmart? Yeah, great question. So, so retailers have been a really topical part of the market over the last few months. So Walmart, for example, you know, the simple analogy there is that Walmart saw this inflection in demand and what they did obviously was to try and satisfy their customer in a similar fashion to Amazon was really order um, extra product to, to meet that demand profile and, and satisfy that customer. As they were ordering that product, they effectively faced supply chain difficulties and logistics difficulties and so weren't able to get the product on the shelf in, in, a, in a fast time, time frame. And so ultimately when that product did turn up, effectively what had happened as we came out of COVID was the demand profile had fallen away. And so this led Walmart and others obviously in the space as well to, to have to write down inventories, so to have to discount products heavily, which is typically a bad sign for a traditional retailer. So Costco is a little bit different in its business model. So it's less exposed to that e-commerce bit that we saw that massive surge and then, and then fall off in demand. So Costco, their business is much more store-based. Um, and what we're particularly attracted to there is their recurring revenue stream. And their recurring revenue stream really exists out of their membership program. So, so consumers can sign up to their program and, and then become a member and receive discounts off, off the products that they buy. And that really creates a really sticky, low-churn membership base that gives them that recurring revenue stream into the future. So that's what we're attracted to with Costco, slightly different to the Walmart and the Amazon examples. Okay, moving on to a somewhat more complicated AOI, high-performance computing. That has companies like ASML, NVIDIA and AMD, but maybe let's focus on NVIDIA. They've had a somewhat turbulent year, uh, but we're a strong believer in the, uh, the NVIDIA thesis. Can you explain what's been happening with them? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll just take a step back and, and really just outline the high-level view that we have on this high-performance compute area of interest because we do really feel like it's an exciting place for a growth investor to be. Um, so our high-performance compute area of interest is really about the semiconductor market that we think is moving into the into what's called the fourth era of semiconductor compute manufacturing, which which is the AI era. So semiconductors have effectively gone through three previous eras over the journey. So it started with the mainframes, semiconductors moved into the PCs, and then into the smartphone. 
And that created about half a trillion dollars worth of value in the industry over a period of 50 years. And so what's exciting to us is that now we think that semiconductor market is moving into this AI era. And we think it's actually going to double the size of the market over the next 10 years, so in a really short space of time. And what's really exciting, again, is that actually there's fewer and fewer companies in the world that can deliver on the compute power required to be able to process those AI applications. And so that's companies, as you mentioned, ASML, NVIDIA, AMD. And so NVIDIA is really at the forefront of this opportunity. We see a path to NVIDIA being a key company from a hardware and a software standpoint to deliver on this AI opportunity in the future. In the short term, however, NVIDIA's earnings have been really, really difficult to manage, so really turbulent, as you said. Um, In the short term, NVIDIA has suffered as a result of, of demand changing in their consumer gaming segment. They've also had to do inventory write-downs for semiconductors that they'd ordered um, but were no longer required due to the demand profile changing. Pleasingly, however, their data centre revenues have still held up and managed to grow consistently through through this period. I think if we take a step back and look at the opportunity holistically, these are really short-term issues, so issues that happen over sort of a six- to 12-month period and then ultimately the longer-term bull case is still very much intact in our view. So we still really like NVIDIA on a longer-term view despite the fact that they're going through these short-term issues, particularly as it relates to their gaming segment. Fantastic. One of the biggest exposures of the funds um, at the moment is Innovative Health. What companies fall under this banner and how are they tracking in this post-pandemic world? Yeah, so Innovative Health is really focused on rising healthcare costs, um, rising healthcare costs and improving patient outcomes all around the world. And so typically where we've focused and where we've invested over the journey is in the companies um, that operate in the life sciences and diagnostic space. Um, So there I'm talking about the critical weapons manufacturers, we call them, in delivering on this innovative health opportunity. Uh, And they've got really sustainable earnings growth runways as a result. So there I'm talking about companies like Danaher, companies like Thermo Fisher, companies like Abbott Labs. Uh, and so maybe to highlight one example there, which which really kicked off reporting season in a pretty positive way, was Danaher. So Danaher showed that resiliency in its earnings that we were really looking for. Um, they they were able to to grow really strongly despite some pretty significant macro headwinds in their business in China, and also from an FX point of view. So being a US dollar reporter, having a stronger US dollar versus other currencies really provides a headwind to their earnings from an FX point of view. And Danaher was still able to grow through that. And I think one of the things we were most impressed with in Danaher's results was its strong bioprocessing division. So management um, delivered a really positive result in bioprocessing and they also guided to a really strong number for bioprocessing in their outlook. And that really plays into our S-curve where we're focused on biologic drugs. That S-curve where biologic drugs are effectively taking share from the traditional pharmaceuticals. Um, the other results in the innovative healthcare space, um, Thermo Fisher and United Health, both delivered really strong results as well. So it's a really pleasing area for us. And we'll be doing a little bit more of a deep dive into innovative health next episode with Jeremy Gibson. We've spoken about Tesla a lot in relation to our climate change leaders portfolio, but so far in 2022, the market has harshly treated high multiple companies. So why did that stock perform well when it reported results? Yeah, excellent question. So Tesla's been a really difficult stock for the market to get its head around now for quite some time. And really that difficulty is all about the valuation. So Tesla's always traded at a, at a premium valuation effectively. And so 
our thesis on Tesla is really about them just capturing a portion of the global EV opportunity in, in the next few years or in the next five to ten years really. Uh, and, they, and hopefully they'll be able to do it at a structurally higher margin profile versus their peers or, or their competitors in the market. Uh, and so that really sets up in our mind very similar to that Apple iPhone scenario of, of many years ago, which created a great growth one, runway for Apple. So Tesla, um, Tesla reported earnings again, coming back to that theme of resiliency, which was really positive, really pleasing to see. So Tesla has a target out there that they want to grow 50% every year. And so management stuck to that target, which in our minds, given the, the macro backdrop and given what's going on in the broader economy, was really pleasing to see. They did allude to potentially some supply chain issues that may be outside of their control that will impact that, them hitting that number. But really it was their, their commitment to that 50% growth that was positive. I think one of the, uh, the other underappreciated parts of the Tesla result was really the cash flow dynamics, so the margin profile. Um, consensus expectations for their gross margin were significantly lower versus where they came in. Uh, and that will lead to, to hopefully earnings upgrades in the next few quarters and in the next few years. Can we talk about some of the top holdings like Microsoft and Alphabet? What were your expectations for these companies and what did they report? Yeah, so Microsoft first. With Microsoft, we're always looking at how they report in terms of their cloud computing business. So we're always looking at that Microsoft Azure number, that growth number effectively. Uh, and what we saw was, again, that really theme of resiliency coming through in both of these companies, Microsoft and, and Alphabet, to be honest. So so Microsoft reported uh, an Azure growth rate of 46% year on year, in, and that's a constant currency number. So what I mean by that is if we strip out the effects of foreign exchange, again, that stronger US dollar impacts them here. And so what what that presents to us or what that shows or says to us is that actually there's a long runway here for, for workloads to continue to shift to cloud computing, to, to continue to shift to the cloud. Um, and that earnings runway, we think, is operating independently of that macro environment. So that S-curve is playing out independent of what's going on in the macro environment, which is really positive and really pleasing to see. Alphabet also, or Google as, as it's more commonly known, was also a really strong result. So, so advertising dollars from corporates all around the world are still coming to Google and still coming to that core Google search opportunity. And that's because they get a much higher return on investment. And so what we're really looking for is that advertising to continue to grow in a positive way. Um, advertising budgets clearly is something that could get cut as a result of what's going on in, in the broader macro sense. But, but pleasingly for us, Alphabet was able to show that resiliency in its core Google search revenue. What was also maybe less appreciated was that Alphabet actually has a lot of ability to manage their cost base. So their margins came in really strongly as well, which is, which is another positive sign. I think if we take a step back and look at these two businesses on any medium-term view, if, like us, you, you do believe that long-term interest rates will be anchored in a relatively lower range, then companies like Microsoft and companies like Alphabet that trade on really attractive valuation multiples and have long-term earnings growth runways look really, really attractive here on a medium-term view. So we were really pleased with the results of both of those businesses. And what information would change your thesis of a long-term fund position following a quarterly update? Or I guess to rephrase that, how would you balance reacting to a short-term result while still considering a company a long-term winner? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think if we think about it, and it goes back to what I said at the start, is that the fact that we believe that earnings growth drives stock prices. So when a company reports, if that earnings growth that we forecast, that long-term runway of earnings growth or that S-curve of earnings growth, 
if that is coming under pressure or coming into question with a company's report, then that would lead us to change our thinking and, and potentially change our investment case. Um, the other thing I think to think about there is that we also set our price targets on a blended forward basis, so on a short-term 12-month forward basis and also on a long-term forward basis, so on a five-year forward basis. And so often I think what, what is happening with NVIDIA right now is that a company might go through short-term issues, relatively short-term issues that impact that blended forward price target. And so in those scenarios, what we might have to do is obviously manage that position size or potentially if that position triggers under our stop-loss framework, we might have to step to the sidelines in the short term and then come back to that investment thesis at a later date. So tying it all together, what do these results mean for Monroe and Exposure today? So really what they mean is, is what I said about the Microsoft and Alphabet result. So we are really comforted by the fact that a lot of our companies that reported are showing that earnings resiliency. So they're showing that, that you really want to be positioned in some of these great growth businesses that are trading on attractive valuation multiples, have long-term earnings runways, have a really, really positive competitive positioning and really have that durability despite what's going on in the macro environment. So that really gave us comfort coming out of these, these earnings season. Finally, ending with asking the question that I've been asking in a few episodes, which is, which is your favourite stock in the portfolio right now? Last time you said Amazon, is this still your pick? I'm sticking to it, Taylor. Why? So Amazon's grown a lot through COVID. They've delivered, as I said, just under that $200 billion number of revenues over the last few years. And so I really think, or we really think, that they're going to be able to leverage that growth over the long period of time. And their their margins and their EBITDA should expand significantly on any medium-term view from here. Thank you for taking the time to walk us through the latest results season. If you missed out on Kieran's last episode, make sure you go back and have a listen. It can be found on our website at www.monroepartners.com.au. 